Welcome to Mind, Muscle, and Metabolism, the Jade Tita Podcast. Here you get the in-depth science and practical tools needed to change your body, optimize your health, and elevate your mindset. I'm Dr. Jade Tita, and here is what I want you to know. You are different. You are as unique on the inside chemically as you are on the outside physically. And those differences matter. They matter because there is only one rule to achieving optimal health, fitness, and body change. That rule, do what works for you. My goal is to help you understand exactly how. I'm so excited you're here. Your transformation starts right now. Today I'm going to be talking about something that uh, really has become quite a confusing topic for many people in the natural health, fitness, and weight loss world. It really is one of these things that's become all the rage. I mean, isn't it funny how every few months, years, the natural health and fitness and weight loss worlds come up with a new demon to talk about, whether that be a food, you know, it used to be fat and then it was carbs and now many people are trying to demonize protein or whether it be some other component. You know, now the big topic is gluten foods and this goes on and on and on in um, natural health fitness and weight loss discussions and it gets very confusing for people. Here's the thing that we know. We are starting to learn an awful lot about how food impacts our metabolism aside from its energetic impact. Meaning aside from calories, food has many, many different components. The macronutrient component, the micronutrient component, the phytonutrient component, you know, these plant chemicals that are present in foods that are we now know are having an impact on our metabolism. And it becomes very confusing for people. One of the topics that is really big and exciting right now for a lot of people is the topic of gut function. And it's um, very uh, telling when you listen to people talk about gut function, how they fall immediately into their biases. You know, it's really interesting how in the world of natural health, fitness, and weight loss, we oftentimes over-dramatize or over-accentuate new ideas that we're introduced to. So for instance, if someone says, hey, gluten might be an issue, then we over-dramatize that. It's just our natural human tendency. Um, And uh, we oftentimes forget or uh, under-appreciate some of the old concepts, the fact that insulin might be playing a role or that calories are important and those kinds of things. So we do this black and white thing as humans where we basically we learn a new new concept and we forget that it's not black and white. There's a lot of gray that two things can be true. For instance, calories can matter and hormones can matter, right? Um, Gluten can certainly be playing a role for some people or it may not be playing a role for some people. And if you look across the spectrum of natural health, fitness, and weight loss, you'll quickly understand that one of the biggest risks that we have in understanding, that you have in understanding your metabolism, is falling into this rigid belief system, this black and white mentality, this idea that things are all good or all bad, or this idea that there's only one way to do things. Let's take gluten, for example. It is absolutely true 
And if you look, take a non-biased view at the research and really understand what you're looking at, you will certainly begin to see, despite what one study says here or there, but the totality of the information on gluten and gluten sensitivity and celiac sprue and all of these things that go into whether gluten is impacting us or not, we now know it is definitely impacting some people in pretty profound ways from changing mood to causing other particular issues that are not necessarily necessarily associated with full-blown celiac disease, right? That gluten is certainly playing a role, that food allergies are certainly playing a role, that these things are something that we do need to look out for and watch. However, the idea that everybody or even most people are having issues with these foods is um, short-sighted, a bit ridiculous, isn't it? That the idea that, okay, now all of a sudden, everybody in the world can't tolerate gluten. And this is what we tend to do. And what I'm going to do is caution you constantly, you've probably gotten used to this from Metabolic Effect and the Metabolic Effect podcast, to avoid these extreme biases. So let's talk a little bit about gut function here for just a minute. Many people who just look at metabolism through either one or two lenses. They either look at it through the calories only lens or they look at it through the hormone only lens. They don't understand um, the impact of gut function. And the gut may be, may be, I use the word may be, the most important of the metabolic organs. And the reason why is because it is responsible for constantly translating foreign material, food, into self-material, so our immune system doesn't react to that material. It is also the second most concentrated area of nervous system tissue in the body outside of the brain and um, the brain and the central nervous system, um, the spinal cord. That means it is very, very important in balancing parasympathetic and sympathetic balance, the nervous system function of our bodies. It also holds almost two-thirds of the immune cells of the body reside at the level of the gut. And that makes sense, right? Because we're eating all day and we have to translate um, this foreign material food into non-reactive material. So this stuff is going on all the time. And I'm going to share with you today in this podcast some cutting-edge information that really will teach you a little bit about some of what is going on and why, for instance, you can be reacting to um, thinking you're having food allergies and food reactions when in reality, it's not necessarily the food that you're eating, but it is actually the gut function, your gut function, how your gut is functioning, whether you're, whether it's too permeable or perhaps not permeable enough, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, and how all that um, comes to play. So let's talk about this a minute. Many people think it's about the food, right? When we talk about food allergies and food sensitivities, and by the way, when you talk about food allergies, this is a, an interesting concept because a true food allergy would be like eating a peanut and then breaking out in a rash shortly after that. What we're really talking about with um, foods that are sort of more subtle in their impact, meaning you eat gluten and maybe it um, causes your eczema to get worse several days later. Those are what are probably better termed as food sensitivities or delayed sensitivity reactions. 
And most people, that's about as far as they go. They've heard this concept of, oh, you eat a certain food and you can have an immediate reaction, which would be like an allergy, or you eat a certain food and you can have a delayed reaction, which would be like a sensitivity. What most people don't realize is that it's probably not really about the food necessarily. It's the way the food interacts with your gut physiology. So the gut has several different layers of function. It has the mucus layer, which is sort of this thin, protective layer, um, the, the barrier, the first barrier that food and bacteria living in your digestive system come up against is this mucus layer. And then the layer underneath that, where the enterocytes or the cells that line the digestive tract sort of live. And these cells um, that are underneath the mucus layer tend to have um, a particular structure and function. They are semi-permeable, which means they let certain things pass and other things not pass. And what we now realize is that the packing of these cells, if you can imagine um, really quickly, take your hand, put it out in front of you with your palm facing away from you and spread out your fingers, right? Now what I want you to do is make a fist and lightly put your thumb on top of that fist or to the side of that fist. Now when your fist is clenched like that, this might be normal gut function. You can't really, if you poured water over your hand, you probably wouldn't get your palm wet. But however, if you loosen your fist a little bit and open up those spaces a little bit and then you poured water on top of that, your palm might get wet. And certainly if you spread your fingers all the way out, your palm is gonna get wet. Now why am I taking you through that? Because that packing of your hands, how close your fingers are packed together or how tight your fist is, is a very uh, crude way of sort of recognizing how your gut enterocytes, these cells lining the digestive tract may pack. What we now know is that gut permeability is changing throughout the day and depending on what you are exposed to. So there's this idea of the so-called leaky gut and people have had this idea that your gut will get leaky if your hands are sort of all spread out, your fingers are all spread out and you dump water on top of your hand and your palm gets wet, that's analogous to a leaky gut, meaning that if you eat a bunch of food, these large particles will pass through and your body will react to them. Your tightly packed fist of your hand would mean that those that there is no leaky gut, that these large particles can't pass through and you wouldn't get any reaction. And most people have thought in very black and white terms with this, where you either have leaky gut or you don't have leaky gut. And that leaky gut is abnormal, having these spaces open up. And the normal function is to have a tightly packed space. We now know that that's probably not true. Studies on triathletes, studies on military training, Exercise in particular is one place that we know that actually causes um, a transient leaky gut. And so what we are now knowing is that physiologically speaking, leaky gut or enhanced permeability in the gut may actually be a normal physiological consequence of many things. And you might say, well, why would the body do that? You know, I'm a naturopathic doctor. My training is to basically look at and say the body has natural healing abilities and innate intelligence. So if that's true, why would the body be causing increased permeability at times? Well, perhaps it has to do with 
Um, since most of the immune system resides at the level of the GI tract, perhaps it has to do, and this is coming from several different um, researchers who speculate that this might be happening, perhaps it has to do with some kind of immune upregulation post-workout, let's say, when the immune system may be um, suppressed a little bit naturally due to the exertion. And so the body does this as a way to ramp up its immune surveillance or to activate the immune system in some way. These are some of the theories that have been put out, but we do know that this leaky gut is not either good or bad, but there's a um, you know sort of different array or um, a continuum from completely locked down uh, enterocytes or skin of the digestive tract and then completely leaky. So then the idea is, well, then what determines whether or not someone with a transient leaky gut reacts to particular foods or has gut dysfunction. Well, we now know that things like vitamin A and vitamin D as in David and zinc and some other compounds that increase mucus layer function or help the enterocytes um, function better or help the immune system. Vitamin A and D are known to be involved in this, that your vitamin A and D status might be playing a role in your body's ability to not just keep the um, enterocytes and the GI tract junction functioning appropriately, but also decreasing its reactivity or allergy potential even when um, you might have some transient leaky gut post-workout or something like that. But most importantly, um, we may actually be looking at an effect from gut bugs. Now, what do I mean by gut bugs? These are probiotics, bacteria, living in your digestive system. So not just um, things like vitamin A and D and zinc and those kinds of things, but your digestive tract holds trillions and trillions of bacteria. In fact, there are more bacteria in your digestive tract than cells in your body. And what I'm going to share with you now is pretty fascinating. There's um, a push now and some talk about the fact that these bacteria that are living in your digestive system are so important to metabolic health that we might need to be calling them an organ system all of themselves. They are that important. And here is what is fascinating. Now research is telling us that these gut bacteria are releasing compounds through their own metabolism or releasing parts of their skeletons when they die. I'm using that term skeleton to mean sort of the cell walls of these bacteria. And that some of these compounds are translating across the gut barrier and getting into the bloodstream and possibly acting with our own cellular receptors on adipose tissue and on immune cells and in, and in the joints and things like that. Let me repeat that because that is a profound new understanding in metabolism. You have these bacteria living in your digestive tract, more of them than cells in your body, that through their metabolism and when they die, we are now knowing that some of these compounds that they're either making or producing as they break down their cell walls are translocating from the digestive tract into our bloodstreams and then having hormone-like effects interacting with our own cellular machinery. This is absolutely profound because what it basically tells us is that these gut bacteria are another organ system and that they actually may be acting much like 
an endocrine organ system, very much like your thyroid gland or your adrenal glands. Now, this is absolutely profound, right? And if you haven't been introduced to this research material and understand this, it probably sounds like science fiction. But this is absolutely what is going on and what is occurring. So I want to introduce you to a concept called postprandial metabolic endotoxemia. This is a term that is now being used in the research that is basically a term, let's break down this term by the way, postprandial means after eating. Prandial is eating, post, after eating. Metabolic endotoxemia. Basically what this means is a inflammatory response created after eating. Why would this happen? The reason that this would happen, most people would say, oh, it's about the particular foods. If you don't eat gluten, you won't get this. That actually looks like that's not actually the case. What actually may be happening based on what we know is an interesting reaction between the foods you're eating and some of the bacterial byproducts that your, pro, your probiotics living in your gut are making. For instance, this postprandial metabolic endotoxemia, this inflammatory reaction that might be happening post-eating can occur with high fat diets and seems to be able to be induced more by high fat diets. Now, don't get scared here because I know a lot of people have your biases related to, oh, you should be eating high fat or you should be eating low carb. Forget about your biases just for a minute and try to understand the mechanism here. There are two types of bacteria in your digestive system. There are gram-negative bacteria and gram-positive bacteria, right? And these two bacteria have a difference in their cell wall. The, a difference in um, their cell wall, the gram-negative have something called LPS, lipopolysaccharide. And this is an immune reactive substance. In other words, when the body sees LPS, it reacts to it. And this LPS, when these gram-negative bacteria die, this LPS gets released into the gut and can now we know can translocate into the bloodstream. We now can measure small amounts of this stuff. Now, if you're a savvy healthcare practitioner, you would understand that LPS used to be thought when we had this translated into the, the, the bloodstream, we used to think that this was septicemia, that you would be sick and that's a, an emergency. You can basically die from this. That's a, a full-blown you know, septicemia. But what we now know is that small amounts, transient amounts, amounts that are much, much less but still make a difference, can be transiently increased after eating and that what happens is these lipopolysaccharides are fat soluble. So what can happen is when you eat especially foods rich in fat, the fat then incorporates the LPS and gets absorbed into um, the, di the, the bloodstream via the digestive tract. And that this causes this LPS and this fat content causes a situation that leads to inflammation and a leaky gut. And you get this sort of, you eat, you eat the fat, you get the LPS incorporated into the fat, the LPS then begins to interact with the enterocytes, the skin of the digestive system, and all of a sudden you start getting this leaky gut and this inflammatory response because we know that now these compounds from these bacteria, this LPS can go and interact with certain receptors, things like toll-like 4 receptors that reside in our joints, our knees, and 
um, the joints in our hands and feet. And this may be one of the reasons why some people say, you know, after I eat certain things, I get these aching joints. And they might think, oh, that's because of gluten sensitivity. I was told I had gluten sensitivity or that's because I was told I had dairy sensitivity when it could just simply mean that this is this postprandial metabolic endotoxemia showing itself to you so that it may not be the food itself, but it actually may be these lipopolysaccharides that are crossing the gut barrier and causing havoc in the metabolism. And we now know that these things are having an impact on insulin sensitivity and adipocyte function and immune regulation. And so now we are starting to see that there are these other potential mechanisms. It's not that the other mechanisms don't matter. It's not that you can just eat whatever you want as long as you take care of this postprandial metabolic endotoxemia. No, calories matter. It's not that insulin doesn't matter either. Yes, insulin matters. It's just that here is another mechanism in this multifactorial um, story of the metabolism that is impacting us and not just impacting symptomology like joint pain and things like that, but impacting our metabolism sending signals to our fat cells, interacting with receptors on our joints, interacting with brain chemistry and those kinds of things. And so this is absolutely critical. Now let me tell you about a couple of interesting um, uh, studies that have been done on mice related to this. So one of the things is Rowan Y gastric bypass surgery. So gastric bypass surgery, many of you know what this is. And most people for a very long time used to think that gastric bypass surgery was simply worked to help people lose weight because it decreased the size of the stomach and therefore decreased the amount of calories you could eat. And certainly this has to be playing a role. However, we now know that gastric bypass surgery also eliminates parts of the intestine that communicate to the rest of the body. So um, this story is there are receptors, there are cells on the digestive cell wall called K cells and L cells that literally taste your food as it comes down. So you might think that you just have taste buds in your mouth where you can taste, but these things also taste as food gets further down in your body. Of course, you don't register that as a taste, but they're tasting the chemical composition of these foods. Well, the K-cells release a compound called GIP that can have some possible negative effects on metabolism. And the L-cells release a compound called GLP, which has many positive effects on metabolism. We now know that gastric bypass surgery decreases many of the K-cells, so decreases the GIP effect and causes more of the L-cells to be in contact with our food and get more GLP signaling. And this has a profound effect on insulin sensitivity and mechanics. So you can see that there's a different mechanism here besides just the calories. The other thing we now know is that something about this ruin why this gastric bypass surgery causes a change in the probiotic number and um, amounts and types in mice. And we're also starting to see this in humans where if you do um, gastric bypass surgery on a group of mice that are genetically predisposed to be obese or have diet-induced obesity, what happens is they become leaner mice. In other words, they overcome their genetics or they overcome this diet-induced obesity and they end up changing as a result of the surgery the types of bacteria present in their bodies. 
Really interesting, isn't it? So they get this gastric bypass surgery. Certainly it has to do with calorie intake, but also has to do with this effect of signaling from GLP. But now we also know that it also changes the gut microbiota. Or, and that term microbiota basically just means the amount of bacteria in the digestive system. So it changes the bacteria types in the digestive system. And if you take that bacteria that changes as a result of this gastric bypass surgery and implant that bacteria into mice that are genetically predisposed to be obese or have been made obese through diet but have not had the surgery, guess what happens? You can then cause those mice to also be immune to genetic and dietary obesity. So isn't this really interesting? You have one group of mice that you do this gastric bypass surgery and you see their, their gut bacterial populations change. If, and then you also see them get lean. And then if you take that bacteria and implant it into a donor mouse, a mouse that did not have the surgery but also was obese, you'll see that mouse that was did not have the surgery become lean as well. This is profound because what it is essentially saying is that these bacteria are speaking to our metabolism in such a way, and the story is not 100% clear yet, but they're speaking to our metabolism in such a way as to alter metabolic function and really help us um, with our immune function potentially and metabolic function as far as fat loss is concerned. So this story about leaky gut being something that may be not necessarily always a bad thing, something that's relatively normal, and the fact that, um, or can be normal, and the fact that our gut bacterial populations are impacting this, and the fact that certain compounds associated with these gut bacteria can then translocate into our bloodstream and have these negative effects, this opens up the door to understanding that your gut function is absolutely critical in your ability to begin to lose fat, especially if you are someone who's saying, you know what, Jade, this is really interesting because I have been doing everything right as far as calories are concerned and in terms of hormones are concerned, but I still can't seem to get any effects. And I am one of these people who sometimes gets joint pain after I eat or has some skin issues or knows that I have gas and bloating and those kind of things or knows that I've been um, have a, a history of a lot of antibiotic use, which has wiped out some of my bacterial populations. If you're one of those people, you need to start understanding now that this makes a difference. Now, here's the good news of this. Some of the things you want to begin to do is understand that it's not just about leaky gut or not. It's not just about avoiding gluten or avoiding some of these foods. Certainly that can be an approach, but you also want to make sure that you're getting adequate vitamin A and D right, and zinc to make sure your mucosal layer is taken care of and making sure that you're dealing with these things. Many people do not eat enough um get enough vitamin A and many people are deficient in vitamin D. You know, many doctors will tell you if your vitamin D levels are over 30, you're okay. But the research pretty much tells us that they really should be between 50 and 100 nanograms per milliliter. So get your vitamin D levels checked. If they are low, this might be one of the things that you need to do to get your gut function working better. And then what we want to begin to do is look at 
um, this idea that the bacteria, these probiotics, are having an effect. The bad news here is we do not yet know which bacteria are the, the available ones, which ones have the positive effect. And one thing a lot of people don't know is that much of the over-counter over -counter bacterial um, products, these probiotics that you can buy, really are don't have the bacteria in it that really make the biggest difference. Most of the bacteria in our gut are not necessarily these types. And so it's still sort of a wild, you know, sort of wild, wild west scenario where we don't have a whole lot of information. We do know that it seems to be the more variety you have in your bacteria, the better. And that certain bacteria can be playing a role, but we do not yet know which one. So this is an emerging story. So what does that mean for you? Probably what it means is that you want to begin to incorporate more fermented foods. You may want to begin taking a probiotic supplement and instead of looking at the total amount of just one or two bacteria, you may want to be looking at probiotic supplements that have a bunch of bacteria. One over-the-counter brand that we use at our clinic is from Garden of Life called Homeostatic Soil Organisms or HSOs. I think it goes under the brand name um, Primal Defense. The reason we use these is simply because it has a lot of different types of bacteria that may be found in our soil. And so this idea that just lactobacillus or certain bifidus cultures and things like that are all you need, which is what mostly you find in over-the-counter probiotics, is probably wrong. So that's going to be an emerging story. But yes, taking a probiotic supplement is probably a wise thing to do. And certainly incorporating some of these fermented type foods might be a wise thing to do as well. And then there's certain compounds that you can begin to use. The most probably notable one is the compound curcumin, which is found in the herb turmeric. Curcumin seems to have an effect where it, through several different mechanisms, reduces this LPS translocation effect either by causing the gut to be less permeable to it or by um, binding certain receptors before the LPS does. What we know though is that this, can, this curcumin can reduce this postprandial metabolic endotoxemia. And of course, here's the other thing. When you're dealing with these potential issues, every time you eat is a potential um, challenge to the immune system. And this is where fasting, if you're dealing with some of this constant food reactivity, this constant LPS effect that fasting and or less frequent meals may play a role here. So this is not to say that you know um, this is going to be the case for everyone. But let me just sum this up for you real quick in terms of what this podcast was all about. Because I know for those of you who are not scientists, you're probably just like, oh my God, Jay, this is so much new information. And it is. But here are the take-home messages sort of in bullet points. Number one, this idea that it's just about calories and hormones is not correct. There are other um, systems in the body, organ systems that play a role. And one of the ones we really need to be um, looking at now is gut function. Gut function is critical. And within that, we now know that these, all these trillions of bacteria that live in our digestive system are sending signals both to our digestive tract lining and inside of our body. So you can almost think of these probiotics as another organ system and a endocrine organ system at that, that are sending signals. We also need to understand that this idea of leaky gut 
And this idea that it's just about the particular foods probably is wrong. It's about how leaky the gut is and what particular foods and the genetic susceptibility of the individual are causing any reactions. And that you can be getting food-like effects from this postprandial metabolic endotoxemia, which has very little to do actually with whether you're eating gluten or dairy and things like that, but may have to do with this lipopolysaccharide or this LPS translocation via attaching to fat and getting into our bloodstream that might be the cause of many of your symptoms that you're thinking is a food allergy to a particular food. In other words, you may not be allergic to a particular food. You may be dealing with this global postprandial metabolic endotoxemia, which then means you want to take steps to deal with this. Some of the steps we talked about are eating less frequently, perhaps looking at fasting regimes or not grazing, um, eating less fat because these LPSs attach to fat, eating less sugar and starches because these things help the negative bacteria overgrow so you have less LPS to begin with. So you can see that both starch, sugar, and fat might be playing a role here. Interestingly enough, they're also very calorie dense, aren't they? And then really looking at the idea of um, looking at foods that are supplements that contain vitamin D, A, and zinc and making sure you're getting those and also looking at supplementing with probiotics and paying close attention to the amount and type of probiotics, one that has a lots of different types of probiotics rather than just one or two types at a very high level. And this then begins to add on to this idea of, okay, well, I'm eating a hypoallergenic diet and I'm eating a low calorie diet and I'm watching my carbohydrates and taking care of insulin, yet nothing is happening. But I'm one of these people who knows I've had some digestive issues, whether I have, I know it because I've got constipation or loose stools or, or um, pain in my GI tract or gas and bloating or heartburn or a history of antibiotic use and all of these kinds of things. So this discussion today is not a discussion to basically say, okay, now you got to go freak out and think about all this stuff. But it is a discussion to essentially say all this talk that may be confusing you about, oh, gluten is bad and this is bad and food allergies are this and that. That stuff may be going on, but there's far more to this story about gut function than just leaky gut, which may at times be a normal thing. And so you have to look at all of these things, this leaky gut issue, along with potentially allergic foods, along with this um, translocation of these bacterial compounds into the bloodstream that might be having an effect, along with zinc, and vitamin D and vitamin A to make sure the lining of your digestive tract is um, nice and fit and can function appropriately, as well as using things like curcumin and other compounds or phytonutrients that may reduce some of these uh, effects. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. I know that's probably a whirlwind, but this stuff is really, really important. And we'll talk more about this um, in future episodes of the Metabolic um, Effect podcast. So I hope you liked it. I hope it wasn't too confusing for you today, but I know you guys really like to get into some of this deep, deep metabolic stuff and really understand what might be going on.
pop it in real quick just to say thank you so much for your interest and support of the JTTA.com podcast. I am bringing back by popular demand the live Q&A calls I used to do back in the day where you can get on live with me, ask your question directly, and have me answer it in full. Questions about thyroid and adrenal health, autoimmune disease, any health condition, belly fat, muscle building, performance enhancement, you name it, we are going to cover it on the Q&A podcast. If you'd like to be on these live Q&A calls with me and speak to me directly, all you need to do is become a patron of the podcast. You can go to www.patreon.com backslash jtita. That's www.patreon.com slash Jade Tita, become a patron of the podcast. I would greatly appreciate your support, and you'll be able to access me live to answer all your questions in depth. Thanks again for your support. See you on the podcast.